Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. So welcome everyone to the Arise Church podcast. My name is Austin, and I'm here with Pete Hughes, who is zooming in from across the Atlantic Pond from London, UK. Um, Maddie and I had the privilege of getting to meet Pete a couple of years ago and getting to be in a time with his staff that in some ways changed the direction of, of our lives, getting to see his community in the heart of London and how they're impacting the city and how God's using them to manifest the kingdom in some of the toughest areas in the, one of the toughest areas in the Western world. Um, you all may not know this, but in January, we did a story of scripture series. Uh, you know that, but what you may not know is that it was inspired by the book, All Things New, a book that Pete actually authored that covers the story of scripture. Uh, we're really excited to have Pete here with us. Pete, thanks for joining us. How are things in London these days? Yeah, it is absolutely brilliant to be with you. I vividly remember that time you joined our staff prayers. It feels like a long, long time ago. Um, but it was a beautiful time. So it's absolute joy to be with you guys. And things here in London, it's, it's a bizarre time for all of us, isn't it? It's such mm-hmm. a challenging time and a time of incredible kingdom opportunity and trying to juggle both, trying to sort of mourn with those that are mourning, trying to receive this moment as gift, even though it doesn't always feel like that, but recognizing the Lord's doing some beautiful things. And then in London, we're still in pretty full lockdown. So I'm currently sort of juggling leading a church with my wife and homeschooling three kids. And that has absolutely sent me to the edge a couple of times. <laughs> um, but there's there's some beauty in the midst of it all. So yeah, we're doing well. Good. Glad, glad to hear it. Well, we want to talk story of scripture today, but um, I am interested in your community, in King's Cross Church, the church that you yeah. lead. Um, I think it would be great for Rise Church to hear a little bit of what you're leaning into during this time. I know you've found a little bit of a silver lining in the middle of the pandemic for your church. And it seems like there's some pretty exciting stuff that's happening for your community. Do you want, do you mind describing uh, your church a little bit and what you're into these days? So we just celebrated our 11th birthday. So we planted 11 years ago into King's Cross, which is kind of central London, historically a really deprived part of the city with a massive train station. And then about, yeah, 10 years ago, a huge redevelopment project took place. And now some of the big guns like Google, Facebook, big businesses have moved in to the area. But surrounding King's Cross are pockets of very severe deprivation. So we had this vision of why don't we plant a church, partner with what other churches are doing around the area, seeking kingdom outbreaks across the city, but particularly in King's Cross, where these different worlds could collide where we could serve alongside some of the most struggling communities, but also reach out to some of these businesses and, you know, industries in the area and, and pray, yeah, for not just social um, restoration, but spiritual restoration of the area. And that's what we've been praying for, contending for over 11 years. And we're in this moment where it feels like it's a significant shift. It feels like a wilderness, and we're trying to receive this moment as a wilderness knowing that the wilderness serves a certain purpose, at least throughout scripture it does, of pruning, of stripping back. It's a humbling experience being in the wilderness. I think we have been humbled in the last year. 
but also recognizing that part of that humbling is a preparation for something. And we're not entirely sure what that preparation is for, but we believe it's for new life. The looking at scripture, when God takes a prophetic figure or a leader into the wilderness, there's almost always a commissioning and the beginning of a new adventure. So we we recognize something of that stirring. We, we've been praying like you guys have for an awakening in this nation and in the nations for some time. We've been feasting on stories of previous moves of God. Like a year ago, just over a year ago, I went on a sabbatical and visited some key hotspots where revivals had taken place. And we began to pray, Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. But Lord, would you do it again in our time, in our day? Would you, you know, make yourself known? And, and then suddenly we enter this incredible moment where it feels like it's hard to hear the voice of God. It's hard to see what's ahead. But recognizing maybe the two are connected, maybe what we've been praying for is connected to what we're seeing right now, which mm. is a stripping back um, and a preparation for what we're hoping for, believing by faith is a move of God. So, yeah, we're, we're beginning to see some exciting doors open. We, we've just signed a 10 year lease on a building right in the heart of King's Cross, which we want to wow. develop into a center of compassion to serve the most vulnerable people in the area. So we're developing a food bank, a debt clinic, um, and a center of prayer, worship, and justice. Um, mm. Because I think if this season has taught us anything, it's taught us that in our own strength, you know, we're not going to see much happen. But if we get on our knees and ask God to move in power, we could see some extraordinary things in, in the UK. And, you know, believe that for you guys too, you know, we yeah. could see some extraordinary things in the days ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I totally agree with that. Really the call for our church has been in this time of desolation where really it yeah. feels like the, the American church has accelerated in its decline is yeah. a belief that God has not abandoned the church, but that he has something new in store for us. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is just lean into that. But it sounds like you've managed to frame a lot of this time for your church in narrative, in story. Yeah. Like you're, you're claiming stories and narratives of the past. You know, there's this call to look back at what God's done in the past, what God's, uh, where you've seen yeah. him move um, before. And you're bringing that into light in this time, highlighting yeah. it and using it as a way to frame what God might do into the future. And yeah, I'm like, no, I was, I was just going to say, I mean, that that's a great example for me of like when you seek to sort of like live in the story of God, these transitional moments, you know, the story of scripture provides a framework. So even mentioning the wilderness. So, again, we've taught into this a bit, but the, the Hebrew term, tohu which is used in the Old Testament as the word for the wilderness. Is the same word that's used in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. That word mm -hmm. is the word that's used for the, the wilderness. And you see this in scripture then, that when God begins a, a kind of a new adventure, a new move of the kingdom, he takes people to the, you know, formless and empty place, the kind of place of nothingness, because only God can create nothing. So Moses enters the Tohu Avohu, and then God speaks and new life begins to flow. John the Baptist goes into the Tohu Avohu. Jesus goes into the wilderness. And we feel like we've been led as a church into this kind of like place of nothingness, place of incredible vulnerability, where all of the desires begin to expose themselves. Um, but hopefully what will actually manifest itself is the deepest desire for God begins to grow. 
and believing that from this place of nothingness, you know, that that's mm. when things really begin to take place. So I agree. I think knowing that story of scripture helps in a moment like this, because you realize, gosh, this isn't just sort of like, you know, a freakish moment we're going through. God's done this time and time again, led his people to the place of emptiness so he can fill them with, with his power, his presence, and lead them into to new terrain. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And, you know, reading your book, Story of Scripture, I think one of the things that people keep comment, commenting to me uh, about, which we have our staff reading the book, and we're also doing a book club with the church. And so pe people are, are uh, reading through uh, the book, All Things New, and one of the things that people keep making comments to me is I didn't realize Israel and really the entirety of the Old Testament has such an impact throughout the narrative of scripture. Like this is informing yeah. my view of who Jesus is in ways that, that I didn't realize. And it seems like uh, the Old Testament stories, like you mentioned Moses, the Hebrew for, for wilderness and for yeah. the, the chaos in Genesis has really impacted your life, how you view the world and the story of uh, scripture overall. And so I'm curious maybe what the journey of discovering the Old Testament, um, how, yeah. that's, how that's impacted how you view the story of scripture and even impacted how you've written the book. Yeah. I mean, I think the book really began with this journey. I started studying theology and, and I just loved it. I came alive in the study of theology, um, but I felt genuine frustration which was like, how come no one's told me this before? Like I'd been in church for like 25 years, listened to hundreds and hundreds of sermons. And yet this sort of like understanding of the Old Testament and how the backdrop of the Old Testament becomes a foundation for understanding the New Testament and all these things. I was like, ah, oh, I would have loved to have known this. And, and hearing some of the, the people in the UK talk about preaching, which is like, hey, you know, don't sort of like, don't bother with the Greek don't bother with con you know context just give mm -hmm. people three things that they can apply to everyday life if they can all begin with the same letter then billy bonus <laughs> and off you go <laughs> and and i began to read certain theologians tom wright kenneth bailey mm -hmm. who's a middle eastern scholar and and it fueled this appetite i i want to i want to learn more i i want to be more immersed in, in the, the narrative of scripture and then certain parables like I remember reading a commentary on the prodigal son and I'd heard that sermon preached like dozens of times and then understanding the Jewish backdrop to that story I was overwhelmed with the sense of like oh God is so amazing his power to redeem and restore mm. um and and something in me was like I want to proclaim the gospel I want to preach and when I preach I want to draw people into that the depths of the scriptures and I want to just sort of like go surface level I want to pull them into the depths of this story because our experience over like 10 years, 11 years, you know, at KXC is that the more people understand, the more they fall in love with the author, mm -hmm. with God himself, and the more they fall in love with the story and want to give themselves to the story, to push the story forward. So really that, that's kind of how the book began of like, hang on. I, I, I just love being immersed in, in the, this kind of scriptural narrative and we're ministering like our context, central London, demographics, mm -hmm. really young. Um, and realizing a lot of people don't know the end of the story. You know, they, they don't know what we're moving towards. And these foundational questions that secular currents are addressing, what does it mean to be human? What does success look like? You know, 
people don't know that the Bible has everything to say on those subjects about human yeah. flourishing um, and redemption. So yeah, so that that's how the book began. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. And, you know, it does strike me that it seems that the story of scripture is already impacting your community. You're talking about people yeah. learning uh, scripture as a whole, and it's shaping their view of themselves, shaping their view yeah. of God, shaping their view of the future. Um, I'm curious what sort of like practical impact, like kind of taking it out of the theoretical, um, yeah. like what is the practical impact of people committing themselves to learning scripture, to, to really like diving in, understanding God's narrative uh, in yeah. the Bible? And how has that practically impacted um, the story of scripture, a vision for renewal of all things? How has that practically impacted people's lives or the church overall at King's Cross? Yeah. Well, one of the phrases we use a lot at KXC, it's, you know, in the book quite a lot, the story you live in is the story you live out. And I'd started writing some of this kind of theological framework of creation, decreation, recreation, sort of like in the build-up to planting the church. And then probably two years in, I was invited on a trip to Uganda with an amazing organization here in the UK. And we were in Northern Uganda, a place called Soroti. And we were visiting um, these churches that were doing the most phenomenal things in terms of entrepreneurial kingdom building. And really it begins, they send out missionaries who proclaim the gospel, people come to faith. Um, and before they're sort of plugged into sort of like church gatherings, they're put into these small groups. I, I guess it would be like house church type environment. And then they study the scriptures. I mean, this is really basic stuff. They hear the gospel, come to faith, study the scriptures. And then as they study the scriptures, they kind of ask questions of like, well, what's in your hand that you could contribute to this story that you're being introduced to? And beneath that, what's really happening is people are coming out of extreme poverty and, and victim mindsets that kind of go with that to recognizing actually in this story, they're sons and daughters and they've got mm -hmm. something to bring. And we met this one guy in Sorotti, and he went through that process. They asked him that same question. What have you got in your hand that could contribute towards alleviating human suffering and creating pathways to human flourishing? And he basically said, look, I don't really possess anything. Like the one thing I possess is this bit of swamp land. But this swamp land, you know, it's beyond redemption. It's creating human suffering because it become a breeding ground for mosquitoes. Um, which meant malaria rates were super high. So he's basically like, cap me out. I've got nothing to bring. And yeah. in this kind of small group, they were like, well, let's just do some blue sky thinking around this. Like, what could we do with the land? And this one guy in the group said, well, what if we try and like dig up the land? What if we could dig deep enough to hit the kind of water level and establish a pond? And I think the guy was like, well, you can give it a go if you want. So they found 20 guys in the community that were going to commit 30 days of digging to see if they could hit the water level and establish a pond. Mm. And after 30 days, they had, they hit the water level. So they started to breed fish in the pond. Um, and with the fish, they began to feed people in the community, which was amazing. Um, but there was more than enough fish for the community. So they took some to market, they generated some income. And with the income, they started to send some of the kids to school to get an education, which is we know education is a key pathway out of poverty. Oh, yeah. um, they built a second pond behind the first one. And then they started employing a couple of guys to manage these ponds. So already this kind of like swamp land that had become these ponds was feeding people, educating children and providing employment. They dug up another three ponds in the same area with the money generated from the market. They began to build homes, um, mm. which is incredible, right? So they're feeding people, educating people, employing people, building homes. 
But then they asked the question like, how come these conditions are so perfect? And they discovered that the fish were feeding on the mosquito larva. Wow. So basically, malaria rates began to plummet, which means this land that was quite literally killing people had become this kind of vehicle for human flourishing, a community mm. being lifted out of poverty, um, providing employment, you know, food, education, housing. I mean, it was just, and honestly, I could show you a picture. It looked like a snapshot yeah. of Eden to me. Wow. And I've been writing this stuff, you know, this kind of book, and then realized these guys get it in a way that we haven't got it as a church yet. They are quite literally living in the story of God and living out the story of God. They're feasting on the gospel narratives of Jesus. And they're like, okay, now let's do it. Um, so we, we came back from that trip. And I said to the church, I was like, guys, I just need to tell you this story. Um, and we, we've got to start with the same question. What mm. do we have in our hand? that could alleviate human suffering, create pathways to human flourishing. Their answer was swampland. What have we got in our hand? And as a church, we began to ask that. And a wave of entrepreneurialism swept through our congregation. Wow. And small examples we were given, it was kind of a miracle story, this kind of empty office space. We had three floors of it. The first floor we were using like for certain ministries. But the second floor, we said to the church, this is what we've got in our hand. We've only got it for a few years. How do we steward this resource? And a couple in the church said, why don't we just rip it out? Because it was a really rundown office. And then find waste furniture around the streets of London. We'll upcycle it. So they kind of found chairs with three legs. They added a fourth leg. Yeah. They found scaffolding planks. They sanded it down. They built tables. They found lamps that had been thrown out, restored them. And then they populated this office with kind of waste furniture. And then they said to people in our church, look, you know, if you're a startup, a social entrepreneur, a creative, a freelancer, if you want a free space to work from, then why don't you join this co-working space? Uh, we'll provide good coffee or average coffee. We'll provide good <laughs> Wi-Fi. You know, come and join. Yeah. And, and it exploded. You know, after a little while, there was like a membership of over 100, probably 75% from outside the church. Wow. But in that co-working space, they were kind of like being marinated in kingdom values of collaboration, humility and service. And suddenly we realized, gosh, if, if we start doing this more and more, this is what we've got in our hand. Like Moses mm -hmm. being asked the question, what's in your hand? And the answer was yeah. like, just a staff. If we can do that more and more, what, what's actually happening is we're immersing ourselves in the story of God. And as we live in that story and as we live out that story, we can trust that God will do the bit that only God can do, which is establish kingdom order all around us. Um, so that felt like a really key learning point for us as a church family. Yeah. Well, I feel like people are so, so hungry for that, you know, so hungry yeah. for a holistic view of bringing the, you know, manifesting the kingdom of God where they're at and whether they're able to articulate it like that or not. Right. That's very yeah. kind of theologically nerdy in a way, but it's to yeah. say that, you know, um, yes, we want to bring people into relationship with Jesus but when you look at Jesus, Jesus' life, he is feeding the hungry. He is taking totally. care of the children. He is healing the sick. Um, it's physical provision. It's compassion ministry. It's justice. It's uh, spiritual healing, deliverance. Um, and people, I think, are really hungry in the church to know what kind of practical impact can I have like in this moment. And Perfect. it seems to me that those questions that you're asking really kind of 
bring out of scripture um, some really practical outworkings of how you can engage the story of God, invite God uh, to bring renewal and to bring sort of, you know, Revelation 21 and 22 into your present everyday life. Um, yeah, and, so, and, so and that, was, that became the easiest thing for us, particularly in this co-working space that was called Ten people would kind of ask questions like apparently a church runs this space like what's going on and every so often someone would find out that i'm actually the pastor of the space and they'd be like you know explain how come you're doing this and and it was just such an easy opportunity to say look you see what's happening in this co-working space it's basically things that have been thrown out and restored to create a place of beauty where people could collaborate work together and bring about social good in king's cross well, that's really what the story of scripture is all about. You know, it, it's a story of restoration at the center of the story is the person of Jesus. And then even, and I mean, this is kind of nerding out. It was an opportunity to say, you know how the end of the story of scripture, like how the story closes and then talk through like Revelation 21, that heaven and earth become one and suddenly there's no more death or grief or crying or pain. Everything's made new. Yeah. I mean, like you see this kind of rundown co-working space. This is a picture of what the narrative of scripture is all about. And I, I had so many like mind blowing conversations with people like, I just never knew. Like no yeah. one, no one told me that. I just thought basically the biblical story was like how you escape like pain, you know, how you mm -hmm. escape the world at the point of death. No one had told me it was about like life breaking in and restoration and redemption. And that was one of the moments of like, oh my goodness, we've just done a really bad job of communicating <laughs> the beauty of our story. You know, and even in, in political conversations, like where, you know, in terms of the political arena, people have said, like, keep your faith out of it. Keep your Christianity mm -hmm. out of politics. I think so much of that is because they thought Christianity was about how you escape this world, not yeah. how you bring transformation and healing and redemption to it. And that's because we haven't communicated our story because our story has everything to say about the redemption yeah. of politics and the redemption of education and, and human flourishing. Yeah. Well, and what's really special and what you're getting at is that it's a story not of just the past, but also of the future. Yeah. And where we're headed as a church, like the big C church, the global church, is this restoration of the whole earth. Um, yeah. And, and, but if you miss the story of the past and the future, it's going to be really hard to understand what God's calling you to in the present. And yeah. so, so for our house churches, you know, we have house churches of 15 to 20 people um, there. We call them spirit-filled families that practice the way of Jesus and live on mission. Uh, that's how we've defined church. Um, but we have these, these house churches, these communities of people who are really eager and anxious to understand how can I live out the story of scripture where I'm at um, how can I love a hurting, broken, vulnerable world that's gone through, you know, 12 months of COVID and political crisis? And, um, you know, we're 60 miles away from Breonna Taylor uh, and that whole tragedy with the Black Lives yeah, Matter movement. Yeah. So all, all of that, people are, are really hungry to make a difference for Jesus. Like, I want to love and love as Jesus loved, do what Jesus did. Um, what would yeah. you say about learning the story of scripture? How can we practically embed ourselves in that story? And then with these tight-knit communities, how would you sort of admonish them 
to impact yeah. the city at large? Yeah, brilliant questions. I mean, I, I think the starting point, like, like the guy in Uganda, is like studying scripture together, you know, studying it in community and then seeking to live it out in community. So we, we have a way of reading scripture together at KXC right now. We've mm -hmm. called it this kind of bread journey where people are reading through the New Testament and the Psalms together. And there's kind of, it's an acronym, so five parts of the journey. B, so be still, read the text, um, encounter Jesus in the text, which is you choose one verse. This is like a Lectio Divina rhythm of reading scripture. Choose one verse. And as you read that verse, what does it ignite? You know, what questions come to mind? What does it inspire? A, which is application. What are you going to do differently? And then D, devote the day to God. But like, even in that small practice, what's really happening is you're saying, I want the first voice into my life this day to be God. And, and I want to begin to be shaped by that narrative. Because otherwise, if social media is the first input, or BBC News or whatever your equivalent might be, what, what's really shaping your mindset and very subtly your worldviews and then very subtly your desires, you know, you're mm -hmm. being basically taught what to desire and what, you know, success looks like in a vision of the good life. If those secular currents are really shaping your internal world, then, then that, that's massive, right, in terms of actually how you go about it about daily living but if you're feasting on scripture and that's beginning to shape your worldview and that's yeah. beginning to shape your desires as you seek to live that out you know you're going to begin to you know impact the world around you so so i think it, it as you go on that journey as house churches you know it's the guarantee that when you live in the story you will live out the story and you'll begin to sort of impact your surroundings e even this language of being born again i was just reflecting on that mm -hmm. where you know that's the language we, we've taken from John three of like when people come to faith, they're born again. But what we realize is like the whole story of scripture is about creation itself being recreated, born again. In other words, something happens at the individual level that then begins to work itself out and begin to impact the community and begin to you know impact all things. So I would say like the very starting point of the, of the journey is individuals or kind of like in these communities, basically saying, Lord, would you bring a greater measure of restoration to me? Mm. So if there's areas of fragility, brokenness, vulnerability, I think it's recognition. Those are the, the raw materials by which God is going to bring restoration to you and therefore restoration through you. So any spirituality that says, like, just ignore that stuff, just present the best version of you, um, that isn't going to actually be the pathway of bringing healing to your surroundings. The individual that says, like, I'm broken and I need a savior, those are the individuals that actually are going to experience a greater measure of restoration and then and then be agents of it. So I think this is a moment like for that. It's a moment of incredible cultural brokenness, yeah. you know, and therefore I would say this is how we should posture ourselves, you know, as the church, which is coming before God, like in real brokenness and saying, Lord, I need restoration. And then whatever you want to do through me for the sake of restoration of the surroundings, like you have my full permission, go for it. You know, I think that's that's what this season is all about. So the person that, that walks with a swagger in the wilderness mm. has fundamentally misunderstood the wilderness. The person who walks with a limp in the wilderness, that's the person that, that gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, humility being so important and just an honest desperation for God. I think, uh, I think is almost unavoidable. 
I think for most of our house churches. And I th- that's something that we really want to live into is just understanding, hey, house church is great. Trying to do something new with a vision for the future is, is great, but we are not going to be the group of people that figures this thing out for the church. Yeah. Like God's going to figure this thing out for his bride and he's going to bring us into the future. But if we think that we just know best, or if we think that our strategies okay. are going to get us there, we're just going to fall flat on our faces. And that whole, uh, I like the bread acronym. And I hope that some of our house churches really pick up on that as a way of encouraging each other to read scripture and reading through scripture together, doing that in humility, in surrender, um, feasting bread. I, you know, yeah. uh, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that yeah. the father speaks that, that bread, yeah. um, that's a powerful combination, um, that I think God can really use to shape our communities, our lives, our house churches. Um, totally. So, yeah. And, and even the wilderness thing, like I, I know, you know, your eyes church family, like awakenings at, at, at the core of it, you know, that mm-hmm. we want the church to awaken so that we can be part of awakening the surrounding culture. Like if you read stories of, you know, previous moves of God, like we're, we're in one of those moments right now. So, you know, again, looking back, just some examples then of Martin Luther, you know, prior to the Reformation, like he had a full breakdown. Like he, he was on his knees, like like total humility, total vulnerability, questioning his faith, questioning salvation. And that's when he had this kind of like lights on moment and rediscovered, you know, Paul and justification by faith. Wow. And, and from that, a continent was changed beyond the continent. But, you know, it's the Reformation swept through Europe. Then you think of a Wesley. And again, a lot of people don't know the backstory, but before that kind of evangelical awakening, he basically had a breakdown. You know, he had to come back from the States, felt completely humiliated. There were lawsuits filed against him in the States. You know, he, he was questioning his salvation. He'd had these encounters with the Moravians and was inspired, but it was like, I just don't know what to do. And one of his yeah. mates said, you should go to the Moravian prayer meeting in London. So at rock bottom, he went to this <laughs> prayer meeting like, oh, I can't do it anymore and encountered the spirit. And that's when the story really begins. And even, you know, even the story of Wimber, who in the UK, the kind of charismatic renewal movement, he was a key leader in it. The story that's less told about Wimber is, is before this kind of movement of signs and wonders really began at Anaheim. He'd had this season where he'd been praying so hard for some of these signs and wonders, like so believing that that was part of like what it meant to be church, but seeing so little fruit, basically exhausted himself trying to do it. Mm. And he had this kind of breakdown moment in a hotel where he basically says, God, I quit. I just can't cope anymore. And he felt like the spirit say to him, John, I've seen what you can do. Now I want to show you what I can do. And then the ministry of signs and wonders like kicked yeah. off and this kind of like charismatic renewal movement that really transformed the, the kind of the landscape of the church in the UK. It really began. So just interesting in some of those stories, it begins with like a real humbling moment of leaders and movements basically saying, we can't cope. And I kind of feel like we're in that moment of like, we, we've tried our best and our best isn't enough. So this is the moment to get on our knees and ask spirit, would you be poured out upon us? Um, so yeah, humility is the word for it. Yeah, it's that Second um, Corinthians 12, I think it's 12, nine verse, right? Where Paul says, yeah. 
he asks Jesus to take the thorn from his flesh. There's this weakness that he's holding. And Jesus responds to him with the words, um, I'm not going to, yeah. basically, I'm not going to remove it, but my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And how I want to want to embody that, how I want to yeah. want, you know, how I want for our yeah. churches to want to embody that, how I want for, you know, I look at the American church and I think if, if this last year can't bring us to our knees in humility, like God, what shaking do you have to do to get us there? Um, but a commitment to faith in this moment, a commitment to honesty about our, our weakness and our vulnerability, a commitment to yeah. not um, callous like anger about our situation, but a, just a broken desperation for, for, for Jesus uh, with, filled yeah. with faith. I think we see those stories time and again in history. We see those stories time and again in scripture where the fire yeah. of God falls on sacrifice, on people who are totally. willing to present themselves to God in these moments where um, it would be easier to become callous, be easier totally. to become lukewarm, be easier to just step out of the church. And and we, we're seeing that, aren't we? That I mean, so we've been teaching a bit through sort of Isaiah 5 and 6, which is just fascinating, the journey that Isaiah goes on just before his commissioning. So if you read through Isaiah 5, I mean, it is hardcore, where he's basically announcing judgment. So I think six occasions, he says, woe are you, woe are those that dot, 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 woe are those. It's kind of like finger pointing, you know, and then in Isaiah 6, he encounters God um, and, and basically falls to his knees and cries out like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the king. And I feel like the church is in that moment, like everyone's being like, judgmental beyond what you could possibly believe everyone's announcing you know woe is them let's cancel them you know it's all going nuts and yet what this moment is an invitation into is the people of god to fall on their knees and not announce judgment over those outside the church but to say like woe is me lord like i'm a man i'm a woman of unclean lips in other words i need restoration like i need you know salvation i need you and then that's the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, which is actually ironically going to be a ministry of announcing judgment and announcing mm. restoration, but from a place of incredible humility that he's experienced something at the deepest level of his being. And, and that's what's happening. And, and it's happening in me. Like I feel, I feel more fragile as a leader than I've probably ever felt before. I felt insecure. My own disordered desires have been revealed in this time. You know, all, all of the best and the worst of us is at the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the path of humility is to say, Lord, have mercy on me. And at the same time, use me. All of that stuff doesn't disqualify me. In fact, it, it is the very passage you said. It's like it's the weakness that could cause me to rely on the power of God being revealed. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Pete. I, I think, you know, you're spot on and you're you're getting at really the heart of the, the birthing of our churches. And um, for everyone who's listened and stuck with us uh, until this moment, I would encourage you all, if you haven't read All Things New by Pete Hughes, please do that. Um, it has absolutely shaped the early stages of our church. And Pete's been so kind to be on the podcast, podcast with us today and to share his time and uh, his witness. And Pete, would you be willing to pray over our church to kind yeah. of close us out? Um, our five house churches that operate as one church um, over, you know, whatever the spirit would lead you to pray. 
um, yeah. humility, surrender, um, story of scripture, bread, uh, whatever it is that you'd want to see God bless our communities yeah. with, will you pray for us? I'd love to, absolutely love to. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And Lord, for everyone listening to this now, and Lord, for the five churches that are part of the Arise family, Lord, I want to pray, would you pour out your spirit upon them? Pour out your spirit. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that the love of the Father is poured into our hearts by the spirit. And I, I just have a sense as I'm praying that one of the things that the Lord's drawing your family of churches into in this, in, in this moment is towards a greater measure of intimacy. Mm. That the Lord wants to reveal his love in deeper ways. So Lord, I want to pray that you do that. You would draw people into a level of intimacy that they've not experienced before. And I feel like that intimacy is going to lead to some incredible fruitfulness. It's like John 15, abiding in the vine that leads to great fruitfulness. I just ha have a sense, I can almost see in my mind, a number of you like in your house churches, like praying. And in the context of worship, in the context of, of prayer, like some amazing entrepreneurial ideas coming. Mm. And it's not coming just sort of like sitting down with pen and paper. It's almost in the context of intimacy fruitfulness beginning to emerge so lord i want to pray for a wave of entrepreneurialism that is for the glory of god for the extension of the kingdom of god to come upon this family of churches and lord i pray that that birthing um, of these entrepreneurial initiatives would take place in the context of intimacy as people encounter afresh the love of the father holy spirit come Holy Spirit, come. I, and again, I could, I could be really wrong in this. I just I'd had a sense there might be one or two songwriters that the Lord wants to raise up within your family of churches. I, I can see this, and this could be totally wrong, right? We know I'm part of my prophesying part. Um, I could see this guy with hair almost down to his shoulders leading worship and i just i wonder if there's a songwriter um long hair that the lord just wanting to sort of birth new songs in you in this in this next season and i i think they're going to be songs that almost cries from the from the depths of your heart for this awakening that we've been contending for praying for yeah so lord i pray all of this in your name would you bless this church and use it mightily for your kingdom amen amen well, thanks, Pete. Uh, wishing the best for you and KXC. Yeah. And uh, thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Sending huge love from the UK.